Chapter 17 of An Introduction to the History of Science by Walter Libby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 Science and Invention Langley's Aeroplane. In his laudation of the 19th century, Alfred Russell Wallace ventured to enumerate the chief inventions of that period railways, steam navigation, electric telegraphs, the telephone, friction matches, gas lighting, electric lighting, photography, the phonograph, electric transmission of power, Rentgen rays, spectrum analysis, anesthetics, antiseptic surgery. All preceding centuries, less glorious than the 19th, can claim but seven or eight capital inventions, alphabetic writing, Arabic numerals, the mariner's compass, printing, the telescope, the barometer and thermometer, the steam engine. Similarly, to the 19th century, 13 important theoretical discoveries are ascribed, to the 18th only two, and to the 17th five. Of course, the very purpose of these lists, namely to compare the achievements of one century with those of other centuries, inclines us to view each invention as an isolated phenomenon, disregarding its antecedents and its relation to contemporary inventions. Studied in its development, steam navigation is but an application of one kind of steam engine, and, moreover, must be viewed as a phase in the evolution of navigation since the earliest times. Like considerations would apply to railways, antiseptic surgery, or friction matches. The 19th century inventor of the friction match was certainly no more ingenious, considering the means that chemistry had put at his disposal, than many of the savages who contributed their intelligence to the methods of producing, maintaining, and using fire. In fact, as we approach the consideration of prehistoric times, it becomes difficult to distinguish inventions from the slow results of development. In metallurgy, tool-making, building, pottery, war gear, weaving, cooking, the domestication of animals, the selection and cultivation of plants. Moreover, it is scarcely in the category of invention that the acquisition of alphabetic writing or the use of Arabic numerals properly belongs. These and other objections, such as the omission of explosives, firearms, paper, will readily occur to the reader. Nevertheless, these lists, placed side by side with a record of theoretic discoveries, encourage the belief that, more and more, sound theory is productive of useful inventions, and that henceforth it must fall to scientific endeavor rather than to lucky accident to strengthen man's control over nature. Even as late as the middle of the 19th century, accident and not science was regarded as the fountainhead of invention, and the view that a knowledge of the causes and secret motions of things would lead to the enlarging of the bounds of human empire to the effecting of all things possible was scouted as the ideal dream of a doctrinaire. In the year 1896, three important advances were made in man's mastery of his environment. These are associated with the names of Marconi, Becquerel, and Langley. It was in this year that the last named, long known to the scientific world for his discoveries in solar physics, demonstrated in the judgment of competent witnesses the practicability of mechanical flight. This was the result of nine years' experimentation. 
It was followed by several more years of fruitful investigation, leading to the ultimate triumph which it was given to Samuel Pierpoint Langley to see only with the eye of faith. The English language has need of a new word, plain, to signify the floating of a bird upon the wing with slight or no apparent motion of the wings, planer, schwerben. To hover has other connotations, while to soar is properly to fly upward and not to hang poised upon the air. The miracle of a bird's flight, that steady and almost effortless motion, had interested Langley intensely, as had also the sun's radiation, from the years of his childhood. The phenomenon, the way of an eagle in the air, has always, indeed, fascinated the human imagination and at the same time baffled the comprehension. The skater on smooth ice, the ship riding at sea, or even the fish floating in water offers only an incomplete analogy, for the fish has approximately the same weight as the water it displaces, while a turkey buzzard of two or three pounds weight will circle by the half-hour on motionless wing upheld only by the thin medium of the air. In 1887, prior to his removal to Washington as secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, Langley began his experiments in aerodynamics at the old observatory in Allegheny, now a part of the city of Pittsburgh. His chief apparatus was a whirling table, 60 feet in diameter and with an outside speed of 70 miles an hour. This was at first driven by a gas engine, ironically named automatic, for which a steam engine was substituted in the following year. By means of the whirling table and a resistance gauge, a dynamometer chronograph, Langley studied the effects of air on planes of various lengths and breadths, set at varying angles, and borne horizontally at different velocities. At times, he substituted stuffed birds for the metal planes, on the action of which, under air pressure, his scientific deductions were based. In 1891, he published the results of his experiments. These proved, in opposition to the teaching of some very distinguished scientists, that the force required to sustain inclined planes and horizontal locomotion through the air diminishes with increased velocity, at least within the limits of the experiment. Here, a marked contrast is shown between aerial locomotion on the one hand and land and water locomotion on the other, whereas in land or marine transport, increased speed is maintained only by a disproportionate expenditure of power within the limits of experiment in such aerial horizontal transport, the higher speeds are more economical of power than the lower ones. Again, the experiments demonstrated that the force necessary to maintain at high velocity an apparatus consisting of planes and motors could be produced by means already available. It was found, for example, that one horsepower rightly applied is sufficient to maintain a plane of 200 pounds in horizontal flight at a rate of about 45 miles an hour. Langley had in fact furnished experimental proof that the aerial locomotion of bodies many times heavier than air, was possible. He reserved for further experimentation the question of aerodromics, the form, ascent, maintenance in horizontal position, and descent of an aerodrome, Greek aerodromos, traversing the air, as he called the prospective flying machine. He believed, however, that the time had come for seriously considering these things, 
and intelligent physicists who before the publication of Langley's experiments had regarded all plans of aerial navigation as utopian soon came to share his belief. According to Octave Chanute, there was in Europe in 1889 utter disagreement and confusion in reference to the fundamental questions of aerodynamics. He thought Langley had given firm ground to stand upon concerning air resistances and reactions and that the beginning of the solution of the problem of aerial navigation would date from the American scientists' experiments in aerodynamics. Very early in his investigations, Langley thought he received, through watching the anemometer, a clue to the mystery of flight. Observations begun at Pittsburgh in 1887 and continued at Washington in 1893 convinced him that the course of the wind is a series of complex and little-known phenomena, and that a wind to which we may assign a mean velocity of 20 or 30 miles an hour, even disregarding the question of strata and currents, is far from being a mere mass movement, and consists of pulsations varying both in rate and direction from second to second. If this complexity is revealed by the stationary anemometer, which may register a momentary calm in the midst of a gale, how great a diversity of pressure must exist in a large extent of atmosphere. This internal work of the wind will lift the soaring bird at times to higher levels, from which, without special movement of the wings, it may descend in the very face of the wind's general course. From the beginning, however, of his experiments, Langley had sought to devise a successful flying machine. In 1887 and the following years, he constructed about 40 rubber-driven models, all of which were submitted to trial and modification. From these tests, he felt that he had learned much about the conditions of flight in free air, which could not be learned from the more definitely controlled tests with simple planes on the whirling table. His essential object was, of course, to reduce the principles of equilibrium to practice. Besides different forms and sizes, he tried various materials of construction and, ultimately, various means of propulsion. Before he could test his larger steam-driven models, made for the most part of steel and weighing about 1,000 times as much as the air displaced, Langley spent many months contriving and constructing suitable launching apparatus. The solution of the problem of safe descent after flight, he in a sense postponed, conducting his experiments from a houseboat on the Potomac where the model might come down without serious damage. It was on May 6, 1896, the anniversary of which date is now celebrated as Langley Day, that the success was achieved which all who witnessed it considered decisive of the future of mechanical flight. The whole apparatus, steel frame, miniature steam engine, smokestack, condensed air chamber, gasoline tank, wooden propellers, wings, weighed about 24 pounds. There was developed a steam pressure of about 115 pounds, and the actual power was nearly one horsepower. At a given signal, the airplane was released from the overhead launching apparatus on the upper deck of the houseboat. It rose steadily to an ultimate height of from 70 to 100 feet. It circled, owing to the guise of one wing being loose, to the right, completing two circles and beginning a third as it advanced so that the whole course had the form of a spiral. At the end of one minute and twenty seconds, the propellers began to slow down owing to the exhaustion of fuel. 
The aeroplane descended slowly and gracefully, appearing to settle on the water. It seemed to Alexander Graham Bell that no one could witness this interesting spectacle of a flying machine in perfect equilibrium without being convinced that the possibility of aerial flight by mechanical means had been demonstrated. On the very day of the test, he wrote to the Academy of Sciences that there had never before been constructed, so far as he knew, a heavier-than-air flying machine or aerodrome which could, by its own power, maintain itself in the air for more than a few seconds. Langley felt that he had now completed the work in this field which properly belonged to him as a scientist, the demonstration of the practicability of mechanical flight, and that the public might look to others for the development and commercial exploitation. Like Franklin and Davy, he declined to take out patents or in any way make money from scientific discovery. And like Henry, the first secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, to whom the early development of electromagnetic machines was due, he preferred to be known as a scientist rather than as an inventor. Nevertheless, Langley's desire to construct a large man-carrying aeroplane ultimately became irresistible. Just before the outbreak of the Spanish War in 1898, he felt that such a machine might be of service to his country in the event of hostilities that seemed to him imminent. The attention of President McKinley was called to the matter, and a joint commission of Army and Navy officers was appointed to make investigation of the results of Professor Langley's experiments in aerial navigation. A favorable report having been made by that body, the Board of Ordnance and Fortification recommended a grant of $50,000 to defray the expenses of further research. Langley was requested to undertake the construction of a machine which might lead to the development of an engine of war, and in December 1898, he formally agreed to go on with the work. He hoped, at first, to obtain from the manufacturers a gasoline engine sufficiently light and sufficiently powerful for a man-carrying machine. After several disappointments, the automobile industry then being in its infancy, he succeeded in constructing a five-cylinder gasoline motor of 52 horsepower and weighing only about 120 pounds. He also constructed new launching apparatus. After tests with superposed sustaining surfaces, he adhered to the single-tier plan. There is interesting evidence that in 1900, Langley renewed his study of the flight of soaring birds, the area of their extended wing surface in relation to weight, and the vertical distance between the center of pressure and the center of gravity in gulls and different species of buzzards. He noted, among other things, that the tilting of a wing was sufficient to bring about a complete change of direction. By the summer of 1903, two new machines were ready for field trials, which were undertaken from a large houseboat, especially constructed for the purpose and then moored in the midstream of the Potomac, about 40 miles below Washington. The larger of these two machines weighed 705 pounds and was designed to carry an engineer to control the motor and direct the flight. The motive power was supplied by the light and powerful gasoline engine already referred to. The smaller airplane was a quarter-size model of the larger one. It weighed 58 pounds, had an engine of between two and a half and three horsepower, and a sustaining surface of 66 square feet. The smaller machine was tested August 8, 1903, 
the same launching apparatus being employed as with the steam-driven models of 1896, in spite of the fact that one of the mechanics failed to withdraw a certain pin at the moment of launching, and that some breakage of the apparatus consequently occurred, the airplane made a good start and fulfilled the main purpose of the test by maintaining a perfect equilibrium. After moving about 350 feet in a straight course, it wheeled a quarter circle to the right, at the same time descending slightly, the engine slowing down. Then it began to rise, moving straight ahead again for three or four hundred feet, the propellers picking up their former rate. Once more the engine slackened, but before the airplane reached the water, seemed to regain its normal speed. For a third time the engine slowed down, and before it recovered, the airplane had touched the water. It had traversed a distance of 1,000 feet in 27 seconds. One of the workmen confessed that he had poured into the tank too much gasoline. This had caused an overflow into the intake pipe, which in turn interfered with the action of a valve. The larger aeroplane, with the engineer Manley on board, was first tested on October 7th of the same year, but the front guy post caught in the launching car and the machine plunged into the water a few feet from the houseboat. In spite of this discouraging mishap, the engineers and others present felt confidence in the airplane's power to fly. What would today be regarded by an aeronaut as a slight setback seemed at that moment like a tragic failure. The $50,000 had been exhausted nearly two years previously. Professor Langley had made as full use as seemed to him advisable of the resources put at his disposal by the Smithsonian Institution. The young men of the press, for whom the supposed aberration of a great scientist furnished excellent copy, were virulent in their criticism. Manley made one more heroic attempt under very unfavorable conditions at the close of a winter's day, December 8th, 1903. Again, difficulty occurred with the launching gear, the rear wings and rudder being wrecked before the airplane was clear of the waves. The experiments were now definitely abandoned, and the inventor was overwhelmed by the sense of failure, and still more by the skepticism with which the public had regarded his endeavors. In 1905, an account of Langley's airplane appeared in the Bulletin of the Italian Aeronautical Society. Two years later, the same publication, in an article on a new Blériot airplane, said, The Blériot 4, in the form of a bird, does not appear to give good results, perhaps on account of the lack of stability, and Blériot, instead of trying some new modification which might remedy such a grave fault, laid it aside and at once began the construction of a new type, number 5, adopting purely and simply the arrangement of the American Langley, which offers good stability. In the summer of 1907, Blériot obtained striking results with this machine, the launching problem having been solved in the previous year, the year of Langley's death, by the use of wheels which permitted the airplane to get underway by running along the ground under its own driving power. The early flights with number five were made at a few feet from the ground, and the clever French aviator could affect the direction of the machine by slightly shifting his position, and even had skill to bring it down by simply leaning forward. By the use of the steering apparatus, he circled to the right or the left with the grace of a bird on the wing. When, on July 25, 1909, 
Blario crossed the English Channel in his monoplane, all the world knew that man's conquest of the air was a fait accompli. About three years after Langley's death, the Board of Regents of the Smithsonian Institution established the Langley Medal for investigations in aerodromics in its application to aviation. The first award went, 1909, to Wilbur and Orville Wright. The second, 1913, to Mr. Glenn H. Curtis and Monsieur Gustave Eiffel. On the occasion of the presentation of the medals of the second award, May 6, 1913, the Langley Memorial Tablet, erected in the main vestibule of the Smithsonian Building, was unveiled by the scientist's old friend, Dr. John A. Brashear. In the words of the present secretary of the institution, the tablet represents Mr. Langley seated on a terrace where he has a clear view of the heavens and, in a meditative mood, is observing the flight of birds while in his mind he sees his aerodrome soaring above them. The lettering of the tablet is as follows. Samuel Pierpoint Langley, 1834-1906, to Secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, 1887-1906, to discovered the relations of speed and angle of inclination to the lifting power of surfaces when moving in air. I have brought to a close the portion of the work which seemed to be especially mine, the demonstration of the practicability of mechanical flight. The great universal highway overhead is now soon to be opened. Langley, 1897. A still more fitting tribute to the memory of the great inventor came two years later from a successful aviator. In the spring of 1914, Mr. Glenn H. Curtis was invited to send apparatus to Washington for the Langley Day celebration. He expressed the desire to put the Langley airplane itself in the air. The machine was taken to the Curtis Aviation Field at Keuka Lake, New York. Langley's method of launching had been proved practical, but Curtis finally decided to start from the water and accordingly fitted the airplane with hydro-aeroplane floats. In spite of the great increase in weight involved by this addition, the Langley airplane, under its own power plant, skimmed over the wavelengths, rose from the lake, and soared gracefully in the air, maintaining its equilibrium on May 28, 1914, over eight years after the death of its designer. When furnished with an 80-horsepower motor more suited to its increased weight, the aerodrome planed easily over the water in more prolonged flight. In the periodical publications of June 1914 may be read the eloquent announcement, Langley's Folly Flies. End of chapter 17